Business School. Welcome to the Business Schooled Podcast, where you'll learn how the world of business is being redefined. My name is Amanda Downey, and I'm an editorial strategist at IBM. Today, I am beyond thrilled to be joined by Michelle Greenwald. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So please start by telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you came from, whatever you'd like to share. Okay. Well, I do a lot of different things. And if I had to narrow it down, I'd say I'm a cross-pollinator and an inspirer. But I'm a marketing professor, a consultant, a writer, and a former marketing executive. I worked in marketing at Disney, Pepsi, Nestle, Mattel, and the global ad agency, J. Walter Thompson. For years, I've been helping companies create cultures of innovation, improve their innovation processes, and brainstorm new products and services in ways that are more thorough and systematic. I also do uh, AI consulting, uh, which is at the intersection, the type that I do at the intersection of trend forecasting and strategic planning. And I've been writing for Forbes CMO Network for nine years about innovation, marketing strategy, and technology, including a few articles about the cutting-edge AI work that IBM is doing. And lastly, I'm a marketing geek, and I've been teaching a wide variety of marketing courses at graduate business schools, including NYU Stern, Columbia, and IESE from Spain. Wow. And if your mind wasn't blown by that, said everything she does, stay tuned. All right. So why the focus on innovation? For my entire career, I've worked on new products in one way or another. In my early roles in consumer packaged goods marketing, I worked on brand line extensions. And then as a vice president and general manager at Pepsi of new products, I led our transition from being a soda company to a total non-alcoholic beverage company. Uh, And I helped us determine the most attractive market segments to enter from a strategic, operational, and financial point of view. And then I was the senior vice president of the Disney toy line at Mattel, where I oversaw the development of literally hundreds of toy products based on Disney films like The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Toy Story, Aladdin, and The Little Mermaid. And then I moved over to Disney and was senior vice president of new business development, identifying new businesses to for the consumer products division to enter. Um, there's just so many things in my life have left, led me to innovation. In 2008, I taught at the business school IESE. Again, it's in Barcelona and Madrid. And the chairman of the marketing department had just written a Harvard case about Ferran Adria, who's widely considered the most creative chef who ever lived, which sounds kind of an overstatement, but if you look from the period when his restaurant was five times number one in the world, he's on the cover of Time, New York Times, uh, Wired, Esquire, you name it. Um, He's gotten a tremendous amount of publicity, and deservedly so. And the case, Harvard case was about how his methods could be used by companies in virtually any sector to innovate more efficiently and creatively. And that Harvard case, believe it or not, um, which I've been teaching ever since, changed my life. It inspired me to write my book, Catalyzing Innovation, which is a tool to inspire companies to think of more different ways to innovate. Uh, and I looked at innovations all around the world, different countries um, where I had never seen things in a particular sector before, 
And I collected literally 1,100 examples and organized them into 63 different patterns of innovation, kind of random. But I looked at what was the key idea that made each of these ideas successfully? And could I group them in some way that was more manageable? And, and so I did that and turned it into my book. And it's meant to be a tool for companies to use to stimulate their creativity and be inspired. Basically, the, la- the last thing also that Tehran inspired me to do, which was a tremendous amount of fun, I started a program called Inventors because Ferran would close his restaurant for six months a year, giving his, his team time to innovate. And they would go around the world visiting people in other sectors and other countries. And they got a lot of great ideas that they could bring back and cross-pollinate into the restaurant. And so I started a program called Inventors, where I took C-suite execs to Helsinki, Estonia, Paris, Barcelona, Copenhagen, Singapore, New York. And we would meet with innovators in architecture, product design, food, technology, blockchain, quantum computing, you name it, just to kind of blow their minds and get them out of their sector and see how other really creative people were innovating. So there's just been so many things that um, have been so exciting out there for me to take part in. And yeah, that's basically, I think that's basically it. The only other thing is that I decided to morph the inventors into something more local, more customized. And so I've been doing programs in the U.S., one-day programs with companies to help them focus on whatever they're interested in. It could be technology at retail, omni-channel retail, um, scouting startups and business process improvements, things like that. So that's been the other the other aspect that's uh, just a more local, maybe more manageable, accessible version. Anyway, very sorry for such a long answer, but they're just so many things. I just become completely obsessed with innovation, and and I I love it so much, and I find it so fascinating. Well, you and I are in the same boat there. I find it fascinating too, and I'm just blown away by this. First of all, thank you for the many Disney toys that currently reside in my house. So I'm sure you're responsible for some of those. Two, how can I get on those tours? And three. You say that, you know, as your teaching business, uh, you know, you have this, these cases that have inspired you, et cetera. So if you had to boil it down, what is innovation in the business context? Okay. Well, there are just so many ways to think about innovation. When people hear the term, they immediately think of new products and services, but there's so many other ways to innovate within companies. You can just really innovate through every aspect of the value chain. Um, you can also innovate in marketing many ways, but to better attract consumers, to better serve them, to add the value at each stage of the customer journey. And then there's a lot of innovation in how companies can hire and organize for more diverse thinking. I think companies tend to do things that are very obvious and they don't think out of the box in, in, in terms of hiring and skill sets. Also, in creating physical and mental environments that inspire and support out-of-the-box thinking. And there's even a lot of innovation in operations and supply chain to make companies more efficient and cost-effective and improve customer experiences as a result of better end-to-end business processes. So really, again, innovation is not limited to products and services. There's just so many things you can innovate within a company. So you mentioned, you know, specific examples and, and started to touch on it, but how would you say you get to true innovation, to that that out-of-the-box thinking? Well, first and foremost, 
the CEO needs to be obsessed with innovation and he or she needs to make it very obvious to the entire company. If you look at the most innovative people in business history, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, Walt Disney, Larry Page, Ferran, Adria, and the most successful Chinese tech companies, their leaders have never been content with the status quo. They also had a pretty clear vision, which the entire organization understood. I find many times organizations are really not clear on the vision. Also, they create pressure to innovate constantly all aspects of their business. Walt Disney, no film could be the same as the one before. He was constantly coming up with new technology and, and breaking new ground. Haran Adria, the menu had to be different, entirely different every year. The last year when they were number one before he closed, they had 43 dishes and each one of those had to be new food concepts. So um, if you look at Apple today, Apple has to constantly innovate to convince people that they need a new iPhone or a new, a new computer. They have to have better features to make people feel that they really need to trade in their older model. So that's pressure. It's constant pressure to innovate. And then also employees need encouragement to share wild and crazy ideas in an environment where it's okay to fail and to learn from failures. One of the things Google does, which I think is really impressive, people that work on, on teams, they're encouraged to kill ideas if they're really not great. But if they work on them and they don't work out, they promote those people or they give them visibly good jobs so that they're not, you know, embarrassed to be associated with a failure. So there are there's certain things that you can do to signal to the organization that it's okay to fail. But at the same time, there needs to be business criteria to winnow down ideas that fit with the organization's strategic vision. And you need criteria because you can't have irresponsible, frivolous risk-taking. There need to be some parameters. And if you can have those parameters and criteria, then I think people feel safer in innovating because it's they're not going to really fall at, at maybe as far down uh, as they otherwise might. So I call it prudent risk taking. I love uh, that. And then, I'm sorry, there's just one just one more area, which is yes. cross pollination of ideas again, because you asked about how how you get true innovation. And this was maybe I'm repeating about the program that I started, but cross-pollinating ideas across sectors and countries. And, and it, there's so many fantastic examples. One of my favorite examples was Phil Knight's partner, Bill Bowerman, when Nike was founded, got inspiration from his wife. His wife was making waffles one morning in the kitchen, and he looked at the waffle iron and thought, well, this would be an interesting pattern of crisscrossing for the bottom of the shoe, and he created the, the waffle trainer sneaker. Apple, when, when they had the iMac computer with the glossy exterior, they went to a jelly bean factory because they wanted to see an, an, an analogy. There's a, a German manufacturing company called Festo, and their engineers go to the zoo, and they got, get inspiration from you know biomimicry from animals. They created equipment based on the, the muscles in an elephant's trunk. So the, the point is, if you really want to innovate, you need stimuli, and you need to get out of your country and, and out of your sector. Um, so I'm, I'm just a very big believe it in that. And then there are also some really great techniques for brainstorming that can maximize what I call relevant creativity, not just creativity for creativity's sake. That's, that's it. That's it. I know I, that's, that is so great. And it's a wonderful point that you make. It's not innovation for innovation's sake, creativity for creativity's sake. You know, it is. Prudent risk-taking. I love that phrase that you, you said. And, and having parameters, this clarity of vision, but also 
the permission to fail. Um, Thank you. So Actually, you just made me think of one more thing, and and that is cross-functional teams that they they're critical. You know, a lot of organizations are siloed. We hear about that a lot. But if you can get cross-functional teams to work together at the very start, because everybody can contribute to the ideas and issues are identified earlier, so you're more likely to have a problem-free execution, it improves time to market and product quality. So that's one other component I think is super, super important that um, every function, critical function, is valued and that they work together early on. So I love what you're saying about prudent risk-taking as well and and how you want these cross-functional teams. Going down to the individual level, how can someone become more innovative or creative? So at the risk of being self-serving, I would say my book is really, really fun. It's a really fun, quick, and easy way to become more innovative because it makes readers aware of how many different ways there are to innovate. I've found that when companies don't have stimuli, they tend to come up with the same ideas over and over again. And there are so many ways. So the just examples of chapters in my book, I talked about 63 ways of innovating, but there's color innovation, shape, price, size, business model, biomimicry, technology, materials, packaging, reversing things. There are so many different ways. But unless you have a checklist, and this is what I was inspired by Ferran, unless you have a, a checklist, he looked at deconstruction. He looked at evoking the sixth sixth sense. He looked at bringing new equipment into into restaurants that have never been before. But you need sometimes, not everybody would think of all these things. It's just impossible. But if you have stimuli that gives you a very comprehensive list and you see how companies have done it in very different sectors, but yet the same thing, it can inspire you to be creative. Another thing that people can do, and this is very easy, is start taking photos or screenshots of anything you discover that you haven't seen in that sector before that you thought was clever or innovative enough to share with others. When I do the one-day programs I mentioned in New York and Chicago, I send the teams out looking at retail for, for several hours, and they have to take pictures and come back, and of everything they saw, they have to say, what would they share on Instagram? What is such a wow that really impressed you enough that it would break down you know, your entire filters of everything that you saw that you would want to share? So that's a really, really good criteria. That's something that's breaking through the clutter and really having an impact. Once you have all these examples, like start collecting them and give each type of innovation a name to categorize it. I have my 63, but you can come up with whatever you want, whatever is relevant to you or your company. Then save your examples by category with a hashtag in iPhoto albums, PowerPoint slides, Microsoft lists, or some other tool. And then um, make it a practice every day to just think about, literally, I do this every single day. Wherever I'm walking, I see things that are new that I've never seen before, and I take pictures and I categorize it. And then you can organize it and tap into it when you're doing that type of, of innovation brainstorming. It's really, really fun, and it will rewire your brain, and, it, and it's actually a really fun way, a positive way to view the world. I would agree. That sounds like a joyful, dream, dream-like way to walk around the world. It's great. So can you talk more about, because I've heard both the word innovation and creativity, can you talk about the link between them and how these apply to areas we may not think of, like tech innovation? So I think innovation and creativity are used interchangeably. I don't think that's a terrible thing. 
but I can define it more precisely. And basically, creativity and innovation can be viewed as a four-step process. So step one is identifying the problem or need. If you make a VC presentation, the first thing they want to know is what is the problem that you're addressing? What is the pain point? The second one is ideating solutions. So that's the brainstorming part. Creativity is coming up with a fully developed product or service, in effect, creating something that's real or tangible. But it becomes an innovation when it's fully developed and put into the market and it succeeds. So often organizations innovate just to be novel and different, but if it's not useful or successful, it's not really an innovation. That's great. So then what do you need to be strategically successfully innovative? Okay, that's a great question. And it's an area where I see a lot of companies falling down. So most companies, and from what I have seen, and, and surprisingly big companies that you would think maybe just don't do this, but they don't seek solutions as methodically as they should. They don't systematically and strategically prioritize where they should focus their innovation efforts among all their options. Companies can't do everything, so they need to make choices. So sustainability is a great example. Every firm needs to be significantly more sustainable quickly because climate change is such a monumental crisis. And sustainability is massive. I realized this when I put together the two-day program on sustainability innovation. The UN has 17 sustainability goals to be achieved by 2030. And if you look at it, it's amazing the range of goals. So it ranges from climate action to gender equality to life below water. It's really very, very broad. And companies can't do justice to all of them. So they have to decide which makes sense for their business. And then they have to investigate every stage of the value chain for opportunities. And I mentioned those uh, from raw materials to product and service design, manufacturing, transportation, et cetera. And then they should really quantify the potential impacts using different metrics. It can be uh, CO2 emissions is, is a common one, but there are, there are other ways, financial impact, number of people affected, there are other metrics. So, you know, you need to, to be strategic. You need to also see how big, what are the, the big areas that you really want to tackle first. And then this is where I, I see companies falling down a lot is that they don't establish criteria for which initi initiatives to get behind. And again, they could be impact on the planet, CO2 emissions, how immediately um, it can be implemented, profit impact, relation to long-term strategic vision, or impact on the corporate brand image. But if you can develop the criteria, that's a big step. But then you need to go further and weight the criteria as to which are most important for your company. So once you, you have the different initiatives, and you can't do this for every initiative, but the ones that seem like the biggest, you apply the criteria and the weights, and then you can look, um, do the math, and you can see which ones uh, are most important to the organization and are going to have the biggest impact, however you define impact. And then also there needs to be a customer reason for the innovation and innovators have to understand how the product or service will be used. So you asked about tech or for a company like IBM, if, for example, it's a new type of data or method to analyze data, who will be accessing and using it? It's very important to have a really good understanding of the target persona. And then what types of decisions will your tool be used for? And how does the data or method enable the end user to make better decisions? 
And lastly, how are they currently addressing the need and how is the new offering truly better? So you really need to answer these questions so you don't come up with a product or service that really isn't needed. And I think a lot of companies, they, they think they have the technology to do something, but they don't really figure out how big of an improvement is versus what's out there. That is incredibly insightful. And, and since you sort of landed on tech, I'd, I'd love to dig in a little bit deeper, especially to AI technology, um, because you've spent so much time looking at that. You know, what do you think about this, this current relationship between tech and innovation and creativity, especially when you think about, you know, these newer developments like chat GPT and Dolly. You know, it's interesting as a professor, when I first found out about chat GPT, I was quite, quite honestly, very nervous. And I still think there are quite a bit of a few issues around that. But if you think about just from a creativity standpoint, and, and I've been interviewing some very interesting tech people about this who have really great insights that I'd like to share. But ChatGPT can provide stimuli for creativity. I've talked a lot about the importance of stimuli. But just as an example, innovators can summon all types of um, examples in, in the area that they want to innovate in to see what's already out there. Very many, many times people think of ideas. And then uh, one of the things I always do when I work with startups or students who are working on new product ideas is have them search what's out there. Because very often there's a lot of similar ideas. So ChatGPT can help you see what's already out there or in adjacent categories. And then it can bring in stimuli that will help your creative juices to flow. An example that I love is Thomas Edison. When he invented the light bulb, you, I, I was blown away by this, but he experimented with an estimated 6,000 different filament materials. And if ChatGPT had been a, around during his, uh, you know, when he was inventing, it could have helped him come up with ideas for filament materials to try. And it also could have narrowed them down so he didn't have to try as many based on certain properties. So these queries can really save time and resources and, you know, they can be stimuli, et cetera. Also, the, these AI tools can enable innovators to have more hypotheses that they can test faster so they can consider a broader range of options. So I think that expands the potential for creativity. And I, I spoke with a quantum computer software coder this week who said he can use ChatGPT to do some of the more mundane coding functions so that he can be freed up to do more thinking and innovating. And he used a really interesting analogy. He said he thought of ChatGPT as an intern or a helper. And then I talked with a woman named Sylvia Masklins, who is a graduate student in Barcelona, and She's hoping to design Web3 apps. And she said that there's a lot of creativity in phrasing and structuring ChatGPT questions to get answers that will enhance, enhance an innovation thinking. So if you're really good at knowing how to ask for, for things, that, that's a competitive advantage. And the output that you get is a competitive advantage. And then lastly, with some of the AI message residence work that IBM is doing that I've written about, there are different ways to describe innovations. And that's, to me, how you describe your product or service to your target audience is a really, really critical success factor um, in new products and services. And uh, IBM's been doing some amazing work on, on message resonance and really figuring out how to optimize 
uh, marketing messages, and that includes verbal, it includes music, it includes sequence, visuals, all these different elements that can be optimized for literally each potential customer profile. So I think all of this can help creativity and make it more on target. So you've mentioned, I mean, well, first of all, these things sound like people should be using them, at least as you say, as stimuli. But for those who are not as comfortable or scared of technology, and I know several of these, do you have any advice about how they can get into using this technology, even if they don't have a strong tech background or feel tech native? Absolutely. I frankly never thought of myself as a tech person. And now I find I'm most interested in writing about technology. I find it really exciting and really interesting. And again, it 20 years ago, if you told me this, I would never believe that I would be doing this. But I think number one, start by reading articles about new technologies like AI, blockchain, the metaverse, chat GPT, quantum computing, whatever. Just start. Because once you get started, then you're sort of sensitized to certain concepts. And every time you have another exposure, you learn more and more, and it's easier for you to absorb. Right now, I'm reading a lot about quantum computing, and I find that Every time I talk to someone or read another article, it just, it's all building. Basically, technology is giving all of us tools to do things we never could have imagined previously. Now it's easier than ever to create a website, make a video, see what our homes would look like with different furniture, floors, or paint. So, you know, just get in there, start experimenting, and don't be afraid, and you don't have to be perfect, but just just try. Just get out there and start trying. Thank you so much. I know I've learned so much just in, in this short bit of time, and I'm sure that people listening have as well. Where can people go to find out more about you and to continue following you and your thought leadership? Oh, thank you very much for asking that. So there are three places. One is my website, which is www.catalyzinginnovation.com. Uh, you can follow me on Forbes CMO Network, where I've written over 100 articles. And lastly, you can find me on LinkedIn. All right. So before we, we sign off, what is the one thing you hope listeners take away from this episode? For innovation, I think it's really important that companies hire for diverse thinking and are creative in searching for analogous skill sets in candidates from outside the industry. Thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us here today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. This has been the Business School podcast, where we discuss emerging trends and topics in modern business. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.